This morning is Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Sorry, it's on page. <laughs> it's on page 14 of the Shed Bible. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. With long life, you will satisfy me, satisfy me. Satisfy me, satisfy me with long life. You satisfy me, satisfy me with long life. You satisfy me, satisfy. with you. My name is Troy. I'm happy to be one of the pastors here. Um, I, before I get started, I want to say uh, how grateful I am for the ministry, the friendship, and the partnership of Denise and Delwyn. And um, I'm speaking as one of Marcel's dinosaurs right now, but uh, it wasn't very long ago that either of these people, they weren't part of our community. And, um, and we're better because they're here. And I, I may have a hard time even imagining doing this work without them now. So I'm really expectant. I can't wait to see what God does in our church and in West Michigan through these two people. So bless you. Thank you. We're grateful for you. Um, glad you're with us. Uh, every Tuesday afternoon at about 2.30... 
in our upstairs offices here, in the biggest of the conference rooms that we have, there's a gathering of Mars Hill Bible Church's brightest biblical minds and most uh, in tuned, uh, uh, sensitive pastoral hearts. Ashley and Denise and Kyle and Tim. And then they let me crash that party too. And what happens in that meeting every single Tuesday is we talk about this particular sermon portion of our weekly services. And we look back on how things went and then we look forward and we try to discern, so what is it that our church needs to hear? What would be really good for our church to think about and to consider? And in one of those meetings recently, Ashley asked a question that I haven't been able to shake. So she asked the person who was getting ready to teach, she said, in the passage that you're studying, where is the good news of Jesus? And for, for whom would that be good news? And I got to say, that's a really nice way of reading the Bible whenever you're coming to it. Where's the good news of Jesus here? And for whom would that be good news? That's a pretty good way of approaching the text, to linger, uh, to take your time in a text, to be on the lookout so that you could find the good news. It reminds me of a, of a posture that Esau Macaulay recommends in his book. He says that we should adopt the posture of Jacob, Jacob from the Old Testament, and that we should refuse to let go of the text until it blesses us. We should be on the lookout for where is, where is the good news. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about good news. I want to talk about the good news in this text we just heard, this bit that Lori just read for us. I want to spend a few minutes in getting a few glimpses of where we find the good news in Genesis 15. Uh, could anybody use some good news? Yeah. Even during Lent, Lent is not necessarily supposed to be a time of bad news. Lent is not just for Eeyore. <laughs> Lent is a time where we still are on the lookout for the good news. And so even during this time, I think it's appropriate that we would seek for the good news. So let's focus on the good news that we find in Genesis 15 for a couple minutes. The story here in 15 of Genesis, it centers around God and a fellow called Abram. We meet Abram just a few chapters before this in chapter 12. Here's a really brief biography of Abram, if you're not familiar with this character. Um, Abram, at the age of 75, receives a call from God to leave his homeland and to go somewhere that God will eventually show him. Let me stop here. At the age of 75, Abram receives a call from God. That may be all the good news some of you in this room need to hear. I'm not convinced that calling expires. <laughs> I think our openness at every age is at question to God's calling. But at the age of 75, God calls Abram to something significant. Maybe that's good news for you. Okay, so this place that he's going to eventually show him. So Abram and his whole family pack up 
And they go, and along the way, they build altars to the Lord. There's a famine that shows up at one point. There's some interesting interactions with the Pharaoh in Egypt. And as a result of those interactions, Abram gets lots of possessions. The Bible says that Abram is very wealthy in livestock, in gold, and in silver. And people keep growing. There's lots and lots of people joining this crew. They go and they they travel along a little farther. Eventually they come to a place that cannot sustain all of the people and all the animals. And so they split in two. Uh, Abram's uh, uh, nephew Lot goes one direction. And Abram goes in another direction. And Abram and his squad, they settle in a place called Hebron. And then... uh, Abram has to go on a rescue mission. His nephew Lot, who went in the other direction with his folks, um, he gets, he's essentially a prisoner of war. And Abram has to go rescue him. And then on his way back, Abram runs into a mysterious man called Melchizedek, who is a priest and a king. And Abram, as a result of meeting this man, gives 10% of everything that he owns to this man. And all along the way in these stories, Abram is faithful and he's courageous and he's bold and he's obedient. And then we come to chapter 15 where we heard a little bit of the story today. And we find this interaction between God and Abram that features a repeating cycle. We see in these verses in chapter 15, three things happen. God promises, Abram questions, and then God confirms. And this happens two times in the text. Notice how it begins. In verse 1, as we heard, uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and God says to Abram, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Some translations have God saying, Your reward will be very great. Either way, what's happening here is God is, is, is pronouncing a promise, a blessing on Abram. You will receive the blessing of God. And Abram says, well, but what about? Here's this guy, this guy who has said yes over and over and over again. This guy who has been faithful and obedient. This guy who up to this point in the story hasn't yet spoken a word to God directly. Now has a question. Okay, you've given me this promise, but God, what can you give me? Abram asks. Because he knows that God knows there's only one thing that Abram wants, and it's a son. Abram wants offspring. He wants an heir. Abram is worried that all the stuff that he's got and the lineage, the heritage, will not be passed on directly through his bloodline. Abram wants only one thing. He says, God, what can you give me? And God responds by confirming the promise. And he said, a son is coming from your own body. And then there's that really moving scene of looking up at the sky, counting the stars. And Abram believes and trusts God. And then the cycle starts again. This is a bit that we didn't read, uh, starting at verse 7. We see that the, the, uh, God promises Abram land. There's going to be a physical place for your people to settle down. And then Abram again questions God. 
Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of that? This is Abram's Whitney Houston moment. How will I know? You're welcome. Ugh, all of that build up. But he has a question. How can I know that this will be true? And then God confirms the promise yet again in a very dramatic way in this covenant rite. More on that in a couple of minutes. But it's a scene through which God confirms to Abram that the promise that God has made will be realized. It's an interesting cycle here. And it's around this particular cycle of God promising, Abram questioning, and then God confirming that I'm using as a centerpiece around which I want to highlight three pieces of good news in Genesis 15. The first bit of good news is this. Faith and questions can be held together. You can be a person who believes and a person who has questions and uncertainties and even doubts. Verse 6 says that Abram believed the Lord. Trusted is another way that we can translate that Hebrew word. That he believed and trusted. But then just two verses later, Abram questions the very promises that God just gave him. Here is a man who is celebrated as faithful and obedient. The man who is the father of the three major streams of religions in the world who had a questioning faith. I am so glad this story is in the Bible. I'm so glad we have a picture of a questioning faith. In Psalm 27, it's another batch of verses that churches all around the world are looking at today. The writer there, David, David expresses all kinds of faith and confidence in God throughout the first six verses. And then we come to verse 7 and something shifts. This same guy who just wrote about not being afraid and about being protected by God and about singing as his enemies, as he's exalted over his enemies, this very same writer, he starts saying things to God like this, don't hide your face from me. Please don't turn away from me. Don't forget me. Don't forsake me. Don't turn me over to my enemies. So which one is it, David? Is it confidence and faith or is it questions and concerns and uncertainty? I think that many of us, many of us have been taught either explicitly or we've just picked it up along the way. That truly following God looks like you're choosing either faith and confidence or questions and doubts and curiosities and concerns. And some of us, we've, we've grown accustomed to ignoring the questions that we have outright or trying to keep doubts as quiet as we can because we believe that they have no place in faithfully following after God. And then some of us, 
have fully embraced our questions and our doubts, seeing no way for them to coexist alongside faith and belief and trust. And so we just reject the faith altogether. Burning it all to the ground seems like the only logical option. And friends, I don't think either of those choices is biblical. I think those are false choices. I think we have here in this text at the very beginning of the Bible and the life of this man, Abram, a picture of faith and questions being held together. And I hope for some of you that is good news. I hope that you will allow your doubts and your questions and your curiosities and your concerns to lead you to God and not to some kind of unnecessary either or decision. Because questions and faith can be held together. Second bit of good news. There is presence in the waiting These promises that God makes to Abram, they're still really far off in the future. And Abram's an old man. He's been faithful, he's been obedient, but I can't help but wonder if Abram feels like time is running out. And I'm guessing that some of you feel like that too. That for some of you, Some of you thought you'd be married by now. Or that you'd you'd have that dream job or title by now, or you'd have that that position at this point. That you would have you would have kicked that habit by this point, or you would have been able to have that one conversation by now. And you maybe feel like time is just running out. The reality that you've been wanting and waiting for still hasn't materialized and it feels a long way off. I'll admit, I, I think about this a lot as a first-time dad. By the time that Maggie graduates high school, assuming that she isn't Doogie Hauser and she goes to Harvard at 14, by the time that Maggie graduates high school, I'll be ready to retire. And if I think about that for too long, I start to hyperventilate. Because I feel like there's just not enough time. Uh, That's not, that should have happened when I was younger. And I start asking, what should I have? And what about this? And I feel like there's just, time's running out. There's not enough time. And I get the sense, when I read this story, I get the sense that Abram feels like time is running out when he asks, who's going to get all my stuff? Who's going to carry on this heritage and this lineage? Time's running out, God. There's still no sun. There's just not enough time left. And friends, waiting is so hard. It's always been hard and it will always be hard. 
But this text in Psalm 27, I think they offer us these wonderful glimpses of good news because God is present with Abram and God is present with David while both of these people wait for the promises of God to be realized. After Abram expresses his concern for not having a child, there's that wonderful detail in verse 5. Look at how intimate the moment is in verse 5. He, God, takes him, Abram, outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. Now, I know this is giving the creator God human qualities, and I'm being a little bit imaginative here, but when I picture this scene, it doesn't come across to me as a scene of correction. I think this is a scene of tenderness. I imagine God putting his arm around Abram's shoulders and gently leading him outside and whispering, Abram, look up. That's what your family's going to be like. More than you can ever count. beautiful moment. The promise might be far off, but the presence of God is not. In Psalm 27, David, he's confident. He's confident. He says that while he waits for God's promises to be realized, he can still dwell in the house of the Lord, that he can still seek God's face. David knows that when there is trouble, when it appears that the promises of God might be compromised or even eliminated outright, he knows that God will keep him safe. And then in verse 5, he writes this, God will hide me. And that phrase, it echoes this image that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 13, this image of a mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wings and hides them. Now this image, it's not one that we should probably put in nurseries, on nursery wallpaper. This is an aggressive, violent image. This is a protective image. This is a stopping at no costs to take care of my own kind of image. If you've ever been around a barnyard, try to pick up one of these animals. This is a serious image here. It's a pointer as well to this ultimate reality that Jesus, in Philippians 3 it says, Jesus will ultimately bring everything under his control. The promise might be far off, but the presence of God is not. I hope that's good news for some of you today. As you wait, as you wait for promises to be fulfilled, may you know the intimacy of God. As you wait, may you know the protectiveness of God. As you wait, may you know the hiding safety of God who is present with you while you wait. Third glimpse of the good news is this, that God is serious about fulfilling promises. After my freshman year of college, I worked at a summer camp. And I was doing music, and I was a cabin counselor. 
And I remember one week, I believe it was for middle school students, um, that we were having one of those after the lights go out kinds of conversations that you could never have planned or predicted, okay? And we were talking about what does it mean to be someone who can be trusted? What does it mean to be a dude who follows through on his commitments? What does it mean to actually do what you said you were going to do? Someone who doesn't lie, all this kind of thing. And after the conversation had died down a little bit, I asked, I said, so guys, what do you think? What's, what's the lesson to be learned here? And I will never forget one guy, one little guy who said with confidence, oh, I know what the lesson is. Never make a promise. <laughs> and you know what? That's not bad. Particularly if you have considered that your words matter. If you've considered and realized that your making commitments requires you to follow through on them, that summary is not bad. I think we find in Genesis 15 a really dramatic demonstration that God is serious about fulfilling his promises. In verse 9, God asks Abram to go and gather up a whole menagerie of animals. A heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, a young pigeon. And then Abram gathers these animals and cuts them in half. And then lays out a path, puts them facing one another, and creates kind of a, a pathway of carcasses. And then Abram falls asleep... And God shows up. God appears in physical form, in the form of a fire pot with a bunch of blazing torches. I love the Bible. <laughs> appears in whatever that physical form means and is. And then God walks the path, walks between this uh, pathway of carcasses. Now, now this is a picture of a culturally familiar relationship agreement ceremony. The drama of this ceremony outside of the, you know, animal crime scene, outside of that, the drama here is that the person, the actor who walks the path is basically saying... What his, okay, when that's done, it's like the person is saying, if I don't keep my commitments, if I don't follow through on my promises, may I be like these animals. May it be done to me also if I don't follow through on my end of the bargain. In this scene, shockingly, God submits to this human ceremony, to this very intense pinky swear. I thought that was funny. <laughs> but God submits to this human ceremony and says... If I don't fulfill the promises that I just spoke of, may I be undone. 
God is saying, if I do not fulfill the promises, may God no longer exist. God is serious about fulfilling his promises. That's good news. And it's good news for us, not just for Abram in this picture. It's good news for us because that commitment has been decisively demonstrated in and through the person of Jesus. Jesus, the one who was obedient and faithful, but who also questioned the way before him. The one who said, Father, is there another way? Can you take this cup from me? The one who submitted to the will of the Father and who also said, why have you forsaken me? Why have I been forgotten and abandoned? Jesus, the one who said, uh, when I leave this earth physically and I'm no longer physically present, I promise you the Holy Spirit so that none of my followers will ever be alone but they will have a comforter and an advocate while they wait. Jesus, the one who on the cross performed the ultimate relationship ceremony by taking on both sides of the agreement, fulfilling God's promise and also knowing that we could never keep up our end of the deal. And so fulfilled it on our behalf by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the good news that transcends Genesis 15 and that we encounter even today. May it be good news for each of you. In a fresh way, may your weary hearts be comforted today. May your restless spirits be stilled. Before we encounter this good news at the table, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. This is a prayer that um, people all over the world on this second Sunday of Lent will be praying together. I'd love for that to be something we speak out loud together before Denise comes to lead us at the table. So joining our hearts and our voices together. Almighty God, by the prayer and discipline of Lent, may we enter into the mystery of Christ's sufferings and by following in his way, come to share in his glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And amen.